This past weekend, Father Matt and I were doing a little bit of gardening. I know to see two priests doing that, probably not the most exciting thing, but I bring it up because, you know, first thing we had to do is go through these new garden boxes that were built for the school because, because school's no longer in session, no one's really taking care of them. So we went and cleaned those out and a lot of work there. And then we went and bought seeds, you know, planted some corn, planted some marigolds, planted some beans, planted some squash, sunflowers, a lot of stuff. And then we went over to a patch of flowers and these nasty, nasty things, which I don't know what they are because I'm not a botanist. Um, but the roots were so deep and to go through and remove some of these ugly, hideous plants took forever. And, and I just kept thinking, this is just so much like priesthood, you know, taking away all the the weird stuff that people have in their lives and, and you know, trying to bring life into the soils, trying to bring life in the soil of people's lives and planting good, solid truth foundation where they can learn how to reason, they can learn how to defend the faith. And unfortunately, it just seems like a lot of us, you know, we have so many bad roots at times. And when we have to defend the faith, we just kind of become like turtles. You know, we just kind of tuck ourselves in our shells and we don't know how to defend the faith very well, or even defend the existence of God. And that's kind of what I want to preach on today is the existence of God, because in our second reading from Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, um, But in your hearts reverence Christ as Lord, which means place Christ at the center. Not money, not power, not prestige, not pleasure, place, place Christ. But then he says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. But he says, do it with gentleness and reverence. That preparation is our catechesis. It's our time of prayer. It's our time of asking, why is there something instead of nothing? What does it mean? What do we mean by God when we say God? And I fear a lot of us, we just haven't even thought of that. And I'm super guilty of that. That's like where I was most of my life. Just taking God for granted. Taking God for granted. That he exists. That he became one of us in Jesus. And some of us, if we're talking to our friends who are agnostic or atheistic, or even are practical atheists, they say they're Christians, but really they're not. Um, because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments in our gospel today. And we keep the commandments because we love them. It's not that hard. And when we look at making it offense for that, sometimes we have to start with just, what do we mean by God when we say God? And how do we like, you know, prove his existence? So this is going to be a little more of a heady homily. I know that you don't always like that. But I just want to give you a couple ways to look at the existence of God maybe to help you be better prepared when someone says, why do you do what you do? Or why do you go to church? Because it's, it's not enough to say I go to church because it makes me feel good. Because you can go to yoga class, you can go to the bar, and it makes you feel good. That's not a primary reason to go to church. It's a part of it, but not a primary reason, right? And it's also, um, you know, not a really good reason to say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because my mom and dad are. Well, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a Packer fan because my parents are. I'm a Brewer fan because my parents are. We got to really distinguish ourselves what makes us different. And we say that, we say the word God, what does it even mean? 
So I'm going to give you a couple different things from the art tradition in the Catholic Church. The first one is from St. Anselman. He's a Benedictine monk. And he spent many, many years on this ontological argument. And ontology is just like the nature of things, the core of things, what makes a chair a chair. Um, you know, the nature, what, what's the nature of a bird? It's the fly, you know. And so when they don't go with their nature, they're not in align with their ontological reality. So big words, but not a huge deal. But he had this argument that he made up. <clears throat> it's really not even ontological or even an argument, but it gets the point across. So I'm going to say it a few times and let you listen to it and see what do, you, what do you hear. And he says, when he's talking about defining God, he says, God is that which nothing greater can be thought. Maybe write that down. God is that which nothing greater can be thought. Because most atheists have defined God and put him in a box and called him a spaghetti monster. And we just said, he's, you can't do that. As soon as you think, oh, that's God, it's no longer God. You see how that works? And God is so big, and yet we have made him so small and so, in, so like unimportant, which is just a pure shame. So we really have to press people on that and ask them questions like, uh, you know, when you say God, what do you, what do you mean by God? Help me understand. And do that with gentleness, gentleness and reverence and keeping a clear conscience, keeping our emotions in check so we don't take things so personal. Because how you and I react and act, that's a witness of Christ in us or not in us. So again, God is that which, than which nothing greater can be thought. And then we have um, St. Thomas Aquinas, and he gives like five proofs for the existence of God. Uh, not like a, uh, a scientific proof, but ways, ways for us to engage others and help them understand who God is or how there most likely is a God because some people really struggle with the existence of God. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas, a little bit about him is he was um, a Dominican. He's a mendicant, which means he was a beggar, but he's so stinking smart. And if you don't know St. Thomas Aquinas, highly recommend uh, getting to know him and study him and really look at this uh, intellectual giant. And he's so practical uh, in his Summa Theologica, which is the summary of theology. And he goes through just questions and he answers rebuttals, just very basic questions that a lot of us should, should be uh, asking. You know, but our education system is so poor. It's just poor. You know, when's the last time you talked about the existence of God in school? Or your kids come home talking about, hey, I learned uh, different ways to prove the existence of God in school today. Not happening. Because our, our school systems don't want our students to think about God and how God became a person in Jesus and how that changes our lives because he laid his life down for us. So I'm just going to go through a couple of his proofs for God's existence. And I don't expect you to understand this, but just to know that they're out there. So he has two first, his first two proofs um, go with either motion. Like in order for things to move, there has to be like a, a first mover. And also things cause something else, you know, so there has to be a first cause. There has to be a first cause. You know, like, it's, it's like the question like, oh, well, what caused that? And what caused that? And what caused that? And just to uh, uh, believe, believe that God, as we pray 
preach God is, and we, we state that God is in the Catholic Church, God is an, an unmoved mover. He set everything in motion. And God is the cause. You know, he's the one who made the bang go boom, right? People believe in the Big Bang Theory. And to, and to suppose that all this is um, an accident is, 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 is silly, right? It's silly. And the last one I'm going to talk about, St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm going to skip two other ones, but one he has is proof from design. You know, that God, we say God is creator. And in order for you and I to build something, we have to have a thought in our mind of it first, right? So if I'm an architect, call God the divine architect, I have to have that in me, that thought in my mind first before I create it. So God is an intelligent being. And he thought of creation. He thought of all of this. And maybe you, you can use that as some proofs for God's existence. You know, motion, causality, creator. The other thing is um, you can do is just look at beauty. Beauty is a great way to look at God's creation and to say, is this a mistake? When you've seen something so beautiful that you, you, your jaw drops, you know, or your, your tears fall because it's just so beautiful. Um, or even like when you experience something that's just so good, in order to experience that, there had been a, an idea of goodness even existing. You know, for God to be the divine architect to see, you know, a, a beautiful sunset somewhere. That like that's a mistake. Come on, let's get real here. So what it comes down to for a lot of people when they don't believe in God and you and I defending the existence of God for having a reason for our hope before we even get into the Christian part of it. Most people who are atheists have just had a really hard time and we have to be gentle and reverent with that. And that's what, that's what Peter asks us to do. He says, you know, but do so with gentleness and reverence because their emotions, you know, they might have experienced a divorce at a young age. They might have experienced the loss of a loved one. And what they did is they hardened their hearts. And they've concocted some deep wall that God does not exist. Because the, the reality is if God does not exist, there is no hope. You see that, how that works? If there is no God, there is no hope. There's no purpose to life, period. And the result of that is pretty clear because the suicide rates are going up. And you and I, we got to change that. We got to get on our knees. We got to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and start keeping the commandments and loving one another. Jesus said, they'll know you are my followers if you love one another. And some of us are called to get into the debate with those who are atheists and start learning these different ways to prove God's existence. Or at least think, think, just please for the love of God, just think deeply instead of letting the news think for you or your friends think for you or your parents think for you you think what do you think about there being no god how do you how would you thoroughly argue to make a good point that it's worth giving up your life for the person of Jesus Christ who is god incarnate or god in person how the heck would you defend that and we need to have these deep conversations at a younger age so for those of you who are parents and those of you who have children start talking to them about these things early 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 
and get them thinking and press your kids and push them. So when we say God became a person, then Jesus Christ is truly present in Eucharist, it should blow their freaking minds. It should blow your freaking mind. We're, we don't get our minds blown enough because we're on autopilot and we're going through the motions. So you and I have to throw down in the philosophical and the theological and the intellectual realm of the church. Because as Peter says, it is better to suffer doing right if that be God's will than for doing wrong. And it is wrong to be stupid. It's wrong to be intellectually inept. When we have all of this technology, we have all of these ways of learning our faith. We have podcasts and books and radio shows and you name it. There's no reason to be stupid right now or to be intellectually inept. That is a choice to not engage. And you and I cannot be afraid of pushing. We can't be afraid of pushing, but if we do it with gentleness and reverence and charity and with a clear conscience, we know that the person that we're speaking with, maybe even looking at the mirror most time, it's a soul we want, not an argument we want. And the church exists for the salvation of souls. So what say you? What is the reason for your hope? If someone doesn't exist in God, how would you describe God? Don't be afraid to say, I don't, I don't, I don't know yet. Good. Start there, but don't stop there. Because as Father Matt and I were going through the garden, you know, we pulled up a lot of nasty roots. And some of the nasty roots that we have to pull out of our Catholic tradition is our intellectual poor habits of just being like, God exists. Because I've been there, I'm guilty. I'm pointing fingers at myself. But not thinking, what, is it? what do we even mean by God? And do we know how freaking huge he is? God is huge. And he loves you. He's so big, bigger than you can ever imagine. And he loves little old you. And he just wants to spend time with you. And when you realize how big God is, and then that he just loves you in your smallness, in your weakness, in your brokenness, then you start saying, who are you, mysterious one? And he asks you the same question back. And he's knocking at the heart, knocking at the door of your heart every day. And he spends time in silence pondering and questioning and learning and being a student of St. Anselm or a student of St. Thomas Aquinas. You'll have friends who will pray for you and help you walk this path. So when someone, someone asks you to give a reason for your hope and St. Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense. You have some simple ways of engaging people, not to push them down, but to pick them up and help them see a God that loves them infinitely. Amen.